הבא הבא. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkoski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. The grand movie houses of Texas come in many shapes and sizes. Some started as vaudeville palaces, like the Hoblitzel Majestics. But some have always been movie houses from their very first day. Regardless of their origin, all the theaters we're looking at today have made their mark on Texas history and our hearts. But first, who's your favorite Texas weatherman? Uh, I'm going to go way back in my history, and I'm going to say uh, Ed Brandon, uh, who used to be on Channel 13 KTRK in Houston uh, back in the, the days of my youth. Uh, news to me was uh, him and Dave Ward and Marvin Zindler. And uh, I always uh, remember them being on the TV screen. And Ed Brandon is one of those that uh, was very clear to say that he was not a meteorologist. He was a weatherman. Um, he did not. He, he got into broadcasting through the traditional means and just ended up doing the weather on the radio and then on TV. So uh, he is not like the modern crop of weathermen that are true meteorologists. But I liked him. Well, I'm going to say Pete Delkus. He's a modern meteorologist, man about town. He's on WFAA, Channel 8 in Dallas, Texas. And uh, not only is he great at his job and interesting, he's funny on Twitter. And he actually came out and uh, spoke to the kids at uh, Mendenhall Elementary with uh, Stacy School years ago uh, for like a career day thing and talked a little about his uh, love of baseball, his early baseball career, and uh, how he was seduced by that sweet vixen, Mother Nature. <laughs> Pete's a cool dude. Cool dude, Pete. Well, I'm going to talk, I'm going to say uh, Jay Gordon Lunn from uh, Odessa, Texas, was a one of those classic great weatherman from the golden age of regional market TV. And I would see him when I would visit my grandparents uh, and great-grandparents out in, in uh, Wink and in, in Odessa and when he's changed channels uh, in the mid in the early '80s, he, he actually was in the market from the mid '70s until the late '90s. But when he changed channels in the early '80s, uh, everyone changed the just switched to the other channel to to keep watching him. Um, you think weather in West Texas wouldn't be difficult? It's hot. It's even hotter, or it's not hot. Um, but he had that personality that that made you want to watch him. He reminded me of uh, kind of a Don Meredith, who's famous. 1960s and 70s Dallas football, uh, Dallas Cowboys football quarterback. So he had that that good old boy, uh, uh, good looking guy uh, look and a deep voice, and he just made you feel good about watching TV. So good, Jerry, Jay Gordon Lund. He died about two years ago, so, but a great guy. The Hippodrome in Waco. In 1913, a group of businessmen championed by Thomas P. Finnegan and Mayor J.P. Harrison, broke ground on the Hippodrome Theater in downtown Waco. Vaudeville acts came to town in a big way, and opening night was February 7, 1914. On the bill, a live seal act, a five-piece orchestra, and, of course, a magic show. In the following years, the venue would host road shows, many vaudeville tours, movies, and local events. When the vaudeville scene started to fade away, the Hippodrome became a paramount public silent film theater. In 1928, a fire in the projection booth 
enveloped a large portion of the front of the building. Now, remember, probably caused by silver nitrate film, which was highly flammable. Quite possible. Um, yeah, <laughs> quite possible. Uh, or by the scintillating Charlie Chaplin film. Anyway. Or by the prodigious amount of uh, cigarettes that were flung around <laughs> willy-nilly back in those yeah, days. Exactly. After the theater was renovated, a facade was built in the Spanish colonial revival style, and that persists to this day. In 1929, the theater was leased and renamed from the Hippodrome to, predictably, the Waco Theater. Additional renovations occurred in 1936, 1961, and 1971. The Hippodrome continued as a movie house and as a performance venue in the 70s, hosting a few famous acts and welcomed many others as guests. Elvis Presley performed there as well as... Oh, Elvis Presley performed on the stage as well as taking in a flick when he was stationed in the Army at Fort Hood, Texas. Uh, reportedly, the largest crowd ever was when over 10,000 people arrived to see John Wayne in person promoting one of the films. And those 10,000 people didn't fit into the Hippodrome. Of course they not. Were just, they were just there. They probably spilled out into the streets a little bit. Yeah. As the public's viewing habits shifted in the 1970s to more purpose-built multiplexes in the suburbs, the venerable downtown palace closed its doors. It sat vacant for a few years. In 1980, the Junior League of Waco began a campaign to restore the old building to its former glory. From 1981 to 1986, the Junior League and community volunteers raised $2.4 million to achieve that goal. The Waco Hippodrome Theater was reopened on February 28, 1987. It got listed on the National Registry of Historic Places. It was operated by the Waco Performing Arts Alliance, and they hosted live theater performances as well as special movie engagements. While it found renewed life as a movie house, the Hippodrome had trouble bringing in large national touring acts. Its lack of a backstage space and the physical size of its stage meant that larger shows like Cats or David Copperfield, for instance, took their businesses to larger venues like Waco Hall and the Coliseum. Unable to bring in the traffic they needed to maintain their business, the Hippodrome closed its doors once again in 2010. Rising again like a phoenix, the Hippodrome was purchased by some local developers, Shane and Cody Turner, in, in 2012, and they set it for another massive renovation. Now, the classic look remains, but updates have began to modernize the theater. Uh, a retractable wall and screen have been added to the balcony so that it can host more than one screening at a time, and the seating was reconfigured for a stadium-style arrangement. It can also reconfigure the floor plan to accommodate tables for dining. A bar has been added to the second floor lobby, and an addition has been added with two kitchens, a concession stand, and a full-service restaurant. Now, while natives probably remember the Hippodrome as a movie theater, its legacy is and will continue to be one for performances of all varieties. Now, I have actually seen a play at the Hippodrome. When my wife and I were dating, we went and visited her uh, college roommate who's still living down there and we went out to eat dinner and we had we went to a play there it was the complete works of shakespeare um and abridged uh, i'd imagine yeah the, the complete abridged <laughs> work yeah Sorry. it was the complete abridged works of shakespeare's comedy retrospective of all the works of shakespeare so uh it was really a lot of fun it was a neat it's a neat place and, it, and it, it, it's it's pretty big but it's not massively big so i can see yes. that yes. although i think they had they I, not long after that, this would have been 2006, probably, they had Wicked there. So they had some of the national touring acts. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I'm sure there were renovations and, and they made accommodations where they could. Now, I had the pleasure of uh, 
visiting the Hippodrome way, way back in 1993. Um, I drove down there from uh, college up here in Dallas to attend a viewing of the original Star Wars trilogy um, on 35 millimeter. This was before the special editions and before digital projection. So it may have been one of the last screenings of those films uh, anywhere. Um, that was uh, quite a joy to watch that uh, that series of films in uh, a, a movie palace like the Hippodrome. Well, like many things in Waco, uh, probably worth stopping for, but uh, I just keep on trucking down the highway. Um, <laughs> but if you don't live in Texas and you're curious about it, uh, if you go to Google Maps and you go to the Waco Hippodrome Theater, you actually can see uh, a whole collection of pictures of the modern theater, and then some people have posted some of the classic photos from uh, back in the day of uh, yeah. what it looks like. And it's really yeah. it's really uh, a neat theater. In fact, it reminds me a little bit of, um, you say what you will, I support Texas artists, so I took my small children and a couple of their friends to see the new Sing film with Matthew McConaughey. <clears throat> and it's centered around an aging theater that's trying to adjust to life in the modern age. And it actually quite resembles uh, what the Waco theater looks like on the inside, except yeah. there's people, not animals. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you can, you can actually make a day of it in Waco because it's in about a, five square block radius. Uh, there's all kinds of new restaurants in downtown Waco, but there's Chip and Joanna Gaines Ma Magnolia Market at the Silos. It's just a couple of blocks down the street. And then there's also, so not far away, is the Dr. Pepper Museum. So go to Waco, make a day of it, go to Magnolia Market, have yourself some uh, some muffins and buy some overpriced knickknacks for your house. And then they have food trucks there. Then go to the Dr. Pepper Museum and then catch a movie after dinner at night. At the Hippodrome. At the Hippodrome. Or a play or a, or a performance. Like many other theaters in Texas, the Inwood in Dallas was built and operated in 1947 by Carl Hoplitzel's Interstate Amusement Company uh, for the outrageous sum of $200,000. Unlike other Hoplitzel theaters, the Inwood was a first-run movie house from the very beginning. Its first show was Red Skelton's The Show-Off. While the Inwood isn't one of the grand vaudeville palaces of the early part of the century, it still boasted an opulent art modern design. Murals depicting fish and other aquatic life adorn the lobby, painted on glass and lit to seem like an aquarium. Artist Perry Nichols is responsible for this masterpiece, as well as the naked water nymphs dancing across the ceiling. Hubba hubba. Marble and stainless steel were everywhere. The Inwood thrived through the 50s and 60s, including a two-year run of Sound of Music from 1965 to 1966. The Who rock opera Tommy premiered there in 1975. As part of the Inwood Village development, the theater has been a vital part of the Dallas nightlife for half a century. The Inwood's popularity declined in the 1970s, much like other movie theaters of the era. It was shut down for an entire year after a fire in 1980, which may or may not have been arson, but... It reopened after renovations that turned it into a full two-screener. In 1982, the massive balcony area was turned into yet a third screen. That same year, the Inwood Lounge was added to the lobby, and the bar has been a popular destination ever since. Landmark Theaters bought the Inwood in 1984, and it went from first run to art house. 
They spent over $50,000 to restore the venerable venue to its 1940s condition, bringing the, bringing the murals back to their former glory, as well as adding new lighting to enhance them. Mark Cuban and his business partner bought Landmark Cinemas in 2005, and they renovated once again, updating the movie presentation and seating to modern standards, as well as rebuilding the historic neon sign. Yeah, uh, I remember my first uh, exposure to the Inwood back when we were in college was for their still, uh, as far as I know, still ongoing uh, midnight movie series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, every Saturday night, they uh, show either a classic film or a cult classic film or some art film, and uh, you go and you, you go to the screening at a midnight on a Saturday. Now, when I attended there um, at the time, it was before that latest round of renovations, and um, I thought it was a wonderful theater. Um, it was cool to go to, you know, such a cool historic place, but uh, the seats and the actual film presentation itself were uh, not great. Not mm. always great. Sometimes they were, and uh, we saw. Were you? I'm not sure if you went, but I know I saw um, Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. Yes, it was and- the only. Yeah, it was the only place showing that that's that film because they they were the only ones with a 60 millimeter film projector. Yeah. And, and I that, remember yeah. that, that that was specifically what I was thinking of when I was thinking of the seats, because that was grueling to sit in those seats yeah, they hours. had at that time for four hours straight. <laughs> right. But it was a magnificent movie um, and yeah. a magnificent venue. So I, I saw a ton of movies there because it was. They closed the place over on uh, on Yale where they had some art movies uh, and and you know in the indie movies and mm-hmm. and the Inwood for a while was the until they opened up the um, the Magnolia and some of the other uh, the, the other Angelica art and houses all that. Angelica yeah it was the only place you could really see some of these movies and and especially where you could see like uh, revival films um, we think we all went or we all went and saw. Um, we went and saw Rear Window, Alfred Hitchcock's Rear yeah. Window there. Yeah. Uh, and we all sat and were the only people laughing at uh, the Christopher Guest film, uh, Waiting for Guffman. Uh, and and we were laughing riotously, but we were the only people laughing at that one. <laughs> uh, and I saw several Kevin Smith movies there. So I've seen a ton of movies there. Well, I'll say I was there for Rear Window. I didn't go to all of those showings with you guys. I was, uh, I don't know what I was doing. I was probably studying. Um <laughs> I remember back in 97, I went to go see Cube, which was a Canadian science fiction horror film down there. And I, what I remember about it was that I got there and I wasn't really excited to see the movie. And it was a neat venue, but I was really tired. And I remember I was like sitting in this old weird theater, in this weird art house theater, waiting for this movie to start. And I remember the trailer was on and it was something about like two Serbian... You know, it was like a foreign language film with a bunch of like <laughs> captions on it, and it was just I was not I was I was falling asleep <laughs> into my popcorn, just like going, "Gosh, what have I done?" And yeah. then the movie opened, and it got started. And uh, there's an opening scene to Cube. It's probably far enough along now that there's no spoilers. Uh, it's not going to be a problem. <laughs> it has a it has a mind blowing opening of like a real shocking uh, cold open, and I was just like whoa i'm awake and i was awake for the whole thing and it's a great film <laughs> but uh i don't I'm, i remember that was being a it's just a fun experience it was just it's weird to be in those classic old theaters and yeah. seeing stuff yeah. there's a there's a real um atmosphere to the buildings that it adds yeah well i, I, I remember uh we went to see uh blair witch project there back when that was a thing 
Um, but uh, what's cool about the Inwood to me is that um, of all the the movie places that I've been, they really seem to uh, preserve and capture that old style that it, it's always had. And the whole uh, shopping center there where it's located, the, the Inwood Village, um, kind of all has that similar style to it, or at least it did at one time. I haven't been down there in a long time, so I don't know what's changed. But uh, it, it all kind of had that, I guess you would call it a mid-century art deco sort of yeah. look to it. And, and it's just really neat to uh, to go and, and see a movie and just hang out down there. Yeah, I the, the, I remember seeing train spotting there, and when the baby's crawling across the ceiling, people were sh- gasping. You could audibly <laughs> hear people gasping in shock at <laughs> that movie. The sad part is, is like probably most of the big movies I remember going to with all you guys was at the AMC Grand. <laughs> yeah, well, when we do our uh, our episode on the multiplexes of Texas, oh we will talk about the Grand. Yeah. Well, then we'll have the world's largest screen over there in Garland. <laughs> No, so now we're going to no, talk that's... about the Texas Theater, um, one of the most famous theaters in American history. Uh, on San Jacinto Day, April 21st, 1931, the opening day it was the opening day for the Texas Theater in the Oak Cliff area of Dallas. Now, this is a brainchild of longtime resident and entrepreneur C.R. Uncle Mac McHenry. He had the dream to open a state-of-the-art movie theater with modern projection and sound. And his business partners enlisted architect W. Scott Dunn to design it for them. The building was built with a Venetian look with opera boxes, fountains, and projected clouds in the ceiling, as well as a chandelier. It very much followed the atmospheric style that was popular all over the country. It was the largest, quote, suburban theater of its day, which it's odd to think about Cliff Suburb, third largest in Dallas. Now, in addition to its opulence, the Texas theater was said to be, quote, fireproof, having been largely built out of concrete. Um, Probably very similar in concept to how the Titanic was, quote, unsinkable. It was the first area theater to be expressly for talking pictures, and they were very proud of their cooling system, which they claimed made the Texas the first theater in Dallas with air conditioning. Also kind of interesting uh, was that uh, Texan native Howard Hughes was the owner of the Robin Rowley Theater chain, which financed and operated the Texas during its construction and earliest years. Now, way back in episode 10, we did an episode on what we called Beyond Dealey Plaza, and we talked about famous locations around uh, Dallas that were involved in the JFK assassination. But the Texas Theater may be most infamous, however, for its role on that fateful day in Dallas, November 22, 1963. Having just shot police officer J.D. Tippett, Lee Harvey Oswald ducked into the Texans without paying for a ticket. He had been followed by a local store manager who thought he was acting suspiciously and that Oswald fit the description being broadcast on the radio by police in search of Tippett's shooter. The merchant brought this to the attention of the lady running the box office, and she called the police. Soon they arrived and arrested Oswald, and the Texas theater was suddenly thrust into international fame by happenstance. Unfortunately, this also made the Texas theater somewhat a casualty of the decades-long attempt by Dallas to hide their shame for the events of November 1963. The theater's ornate designs were soon covered over with Spanish-style stucco, and a new Six Flags Over Texas-themed facade was put in in 1965. A new screen and upholstery soon followed. As part of the renovation, the box office was moved inside, the first for a Dallas-area theater. All these renovations proceeded without closing the theater, but they did close it for a few days after they were done 
to hold a grand reopening party. Yeah, I thought that was amusing. It's like they stayed open during the whole time the construction was done. Oh, yeah. And then as soon as they were done, they shut down for two days so they could have a, a, a reopening party. Yeah. Now, the Texas theater suffered the same malaise as most single-screen theaters in the 1970s and 80s as patrons ventured further into the suburbs where the multiplexes thrived. The most recent owner of the Texas, United Artists, closed it down in 1989. The Texas Theater Historical Society was formed to save the Texas in 1990, and that's the same year that they allowed Oliver Stone to refurbish the facade to how it looked in 1963 for his film, JFK. The society was unable to make the mortgage payments by 1992, however, and were forced to close its doors once again. It was opened for a few more years thanks to one of its former ushers and sign changers uh, purchasing the building and, and trying to keep it open, but was shut down after a fire in 1995 nearly destroyed the building. So much for remember, being fireproof. I'm sorry, remember, it was fireproof, but yeah. uh, there you go. Well, you know... Don't call a ship unsinkable, and don't call a movie theater fireproof. The Texas theater remained vacant for many years, inhabited only by varmints and vagrants, until the nonprofit Oak Cliff Foundation purchased the building in 2001. Some renovations were made on parts of the Texas, and it was added to the National Registry of Historic Places in 2003. In 2009, a new creative director for the Texas was brought on, and after a comprehensive renovation and rebranding, it has become home to new cinema releases and events. They had a grand reopening in 2010. Now, there's an interesting footnote. When the Texas State Historical Commission awarded the Texas Theater with a state historical marker in 2013, somebody goofed. The marker read, in part, on November 22, 1963, Lee Harvey Oswald was apprehended inside the auditorium for the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, propelling the Texas theater into the international spotlight. Uh, now, if you are listening closely and you know your history, you'll notice what the discrepancy is. Oswald was actually arrested in the Texas theater for shooting Officer J.D. Tippett. He wouldn't be connected with the JFK assassination until several hours later. The parties responsible for approving the text of the marker, according to the Dallas Morning News, we're on the hook for getting a new plaque made and placed and in the interest of historical accuracy. Now, I believe I've heard a story, I don't know if this is true, that the seat where he was sitting uh, is still there and it is roped off. You can't buy that seat. It's like it has an actual plaque on it, on the seat itself. So uh, I don't know if that's true, though. So if you've been to the Texas Theater yeah, and the you visited it, then let, let us know. Yeah, the seat that was there, I just read about this, the seat that was that's there now was not the actual seat. The actual right. seat moved by by the manager at the time, or the, the owner of the theater at the time. So right, but the spot where he was sitting. Yes, is, yes, but is that is not, not the actual seat. It's not the actual seat, but it's not. But it's also you can't go buy a seat, buy a ticket instead of that that spot. I think is what I heard. Yeah. But but they they do uh, they they have movies there, but they also have uh, live music there. So supposed to be an interesting place um i have not so far had the the pleasure of uh, going to the Te texas theater I, there have been a couple of movies that have uh come through there that i've uh, tried to go to but uh for whatever reason the schedules didn't work out but uh i i'm uh for one am uh excited by the fact that there are so many uh theaters these days especially in our area that uh provide a wide variety of programming so what are some other theaters that you guys can think of, uh, maybe not so grand, but that have 
some historical context or even just personal context with you. That's not one of the multiplexes, but an actual a really neat theater in Texas. The funny thing is, I of movie theaters in Texas, I always think of the Santicos chain, which are out of San Antonio. And I just remember, for some reason, I had um, a metal like lunchbox that was used as for crayon storage as a kid, and had a huge Santicos <laughs> Theater bumper sticker stuck on it. Uh, so I think anybody from South Texas like remembers the Santicos name. It's just a catchy name. Yep. You know, like I said, we we tried to concentrate on uh, theaters that were unique in some way, uh, rather than just the the modern chain theaters. Um, but maybe at some point we will talk about our memories of uh, some other theaters that might be not be considered uh, classic movie houses or classic yeah, movie palaces. To, to me, I I really think of more of the small little one one uh, one screen tiny theaters in in the the town squares of these uh, towns throughout the state. So you know the famous one like the Royal and Archer City, which was inspired Larry McMurtry's Last Picture Show, um, and it's now part of his bookstore. Uh, the there's a little one. I mean, literally, I think my TV in my house is bigger than the screen of this theater in Vernon, where we we would go and watch movies. Um, and they were like, they had been at the theaters, the big theaters, like six months before, and now they were in the last gasp of a dollar theater. Or yeah. I think of uh, seeing at Liberty Hall in downtown Tyler when I was working at a, at a summer camp nearby. Uh, seeing Beauty and the Beast uh, sitting in the balcony of this old, old theater that's there. And now it's been renovated and restored. So those are, those are the kind of theaters I think of when I think of, of Texas movie halls, movie houses, is, is those little bitty places that are kind of out of the way. It's the only place you could you could go see a movie theater. And, you, and you know, 40 years before, someone you know would pay a nickel to go see a movie there. And, you know, you're, you're seeing Mannequin, you know, or... Uh, a Biloxi Blues, you know, for a dollar with your your junior high friends because it's the only thing that's that's playing. Yeah, all the little like one one movie house theaters I've been to uh, have actually been outside of Texas, so I can't think of a of a time when I've been in just a little one seater here in in Podunk, Texas. So sorry, that wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you. So like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or get yourself to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean, two ends. And I'm Scotticus. You like this show? So do your duty and tell your friends. And leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please go to patreon.com slash texaspodcast. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.